Pod Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And tonight we're going to talk about the ninth episode, the penultimate for the first season of Snowpiercer. Uh, this one was called Old Ways, Old Wars. I looked up that, that phraseology and I couldn't find any any like literary reference or anything like that. I think that one's just one of those names that just is obvious <laughs> so, <laughs> what it means. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this one did not start out very hopeful for our our uh, revolutionaries. It had this really cool shot with Melanie in the foreground stuck in the execution waiting room. Uh, but the camera had like a ton of depth of field on it. So you could really just get like her forehead and, and most of her face was in focus, but then everything else was out of focus. So it like really centered us in on what's going on and what must be going on in her head right then. A really great shot. Yeah. And then her bright blue um, just is so highlighted because of the, um, you know, she's in with all the other, I guess like the, ta- the thirds or tailies um, who they caught as well. So that was pretty cool. Unlike all the other cold open voiceovers where we had sort of side characters, this was Melanie giving mm-hmm. us the the text of the voice of the uh, of the cold open. It's it's interesting how you know I don't we don't know her well enough yet to know if she's completely reliable when she tells us this kind of stuff, but she she sounds like if if she'd been given enough time. She would have done basically what tail the tailies and uh, third kind of wanted, which was getting rid of some of the the rules that Mister Wilford created when he made the train. Um, but she just never, she just didn't, wasn't given the time, or she never put in enough work to get it to to, to happen or, or something. But it just that's what I got from what she was saying. Like she she had big ideas, but she she didn't get to do them well we learn at the end why that is right and i think andre learns that as well before i know we'll talk about it before we get there but i think it was really interesting um because she she was saying that i did want to have a kind of utopian world maybe not so utopian but like a better world um because we we knew this was going to happen climate change and this is what we ended up with and what we know is like she you know supposedly she threw out wilford and then that because he he didn't want to have that he was just wanted to do whatever he didn't want to save the world really it was just for himself. So when she says the train demanded blood, I fed her and now they will. That was really, I guess, what leaders have to go through, right? Like you have to give and take. Yeah. And I guess it's that thing where maybe in one part of your reign you can do a little bit of good, but then you have to do two steps of bad. <laughs> to kind of get there and it's kind of like a a a big like walking up a hill probably is what she felt like is like what i'm getting from um from that speech is like i'm not bad this is just what i had to do (laughs) yeah well and it it provides a good bookend to obviously what comes later um it's not a matter of her having to do one thing or another it's whoever is looking out for 
the rest of the train is mm-hmm. is put in the position needing to make those decisions as Andre ominously <laughs> finds <laughs> out at the end of the hour. The train demanded blood. It it reminds me <laughs> of the island demanded a sacrifice. Yeah. The idea that could there ever be a world where there is like no order, like no classes, no nothing, like everyone could be equal. We're all just doing everything we can and doing our part to have such a good world. But then there's obviously always has to be jobs where people are not going to want to do it. Right. And then like, how do you get people just to fall in line if there is no hierarchy? So I think that's the dilemma she thought she could tackle as an engineer. Probably she was like, Oh, I can, I know how to run Snowpiercer, but I think she didn't factor in the people that weren't going to be so willing to give up their luxuries and be like her in the sense of putting the train first and not themselves. So that's, that's the, always that been was, the trouble with yeah. the communism and socialist type um, regimes is you will get some amount of buy-in from people that think it's a good idea. You will get people that think it's a shit idea and you will mm-hmm. get people that say they think it's a good idea but they continue to look out for their own self-interest, which is counter to to what <laughs> the whole thing is. You're supposed to trust in the system, and the system will provide. But you are, but you're right. Someone does need to supervise others. Someone does need to, you know, muck the horse stalls or whatever mm-hmm. there would be, and not maybe not on a train, but you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's a. It's not a great job. Is the point of of that one. Um. So. You will have those kind of disparities despite this kind of quote unquote equal society. And, uh, yeah, I just, it, I don't, I don't think it, it has worked out that way in history, uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of having a society thrive under that kind of regime because there are always people that will look out for themselves. I think it, it would take, you would have to be Melanie. Like you would have to just, everyone would have to be like a Melanie where you, are really looking to the to in you're looking to the bigger picture, but unfortunately, most people cannot look not can, cannot have that outlook. They're thinking about themselves and like the micro stuff. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if we we'll, if we could ever get that sort of society. And I think she, as much as she was so logical and and um you know she's really smart. It's funny that she thought she could actually uh, rein that in and, and make a better world when I think Wilford, in that sense, probably understood that it was going to go to all the shit. So might as well throw a party if that's what it was, you know, if yeah. if, we, if we're believing Melanie. I think, uh, let's see. Did you ever see A Brilliant Mind? Yes. All right. I think, do you remember the, the name of the guy was named John Nash? Yeah, that's um that was the was that the imaginary friend? No, he was the real guy. Oh, yes, yes. He yeah, was, Jennifer uh, Connelly's the Russell she was Crow, the wife. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he has a theory. Let's see here. If I can find the um the relevant part. Well, it's the same it's kind of what we're saying. The the Nash it's it's called Nash equilibrium and it's just that as long as everyone uh, knows their part in a in a system and plays it perfectly, then this system will work. But if someone starts looking out for themselves, then the entire system will break. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that such a good uh, what is it uh, like with what's going on with COVID? 
It's like exactly yes. If 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 people like you would think like if and this is it's a little bleak and I know we're going off tangent, but you would think that at the end of the world, like in Snowpiercer or in a freaking global pandemic, everyone could look past you know all the the minor problems and try to solve this big problem because it's affecting it's the first time that it's affected everybody equally right in some ways you can't hide from it because of money blah blah right and the fact that not everyone can do their part Mm -hmm. (laughs) um to kind of prevent that and you know uh for whatever reason we don't have to get into all the details because some people maybe maybe are not are are, are the chaos problem but um <laughs> but whatever like it it just goes to show you that even in a global pandemic where everyone's interests should be the same we still can't get our shit together and that is not a very good uh i think example of like coming together for the greater good and it's kind of the example of um uh like snowpiercer right like there are it's they're the last of humanity and they're still dealing over stupid crap <laughs> because they just like still are so petty and human. And it's, it, it's that sort of thing too. Like, yeah, I don't know. I find it so fascinating. Yeah. Well, and we do have some examples of people, um, getting, uh, bit in the, in the ass for trying to look out for their, their own self-interest, uh, rather than the train in this very episode. um, Let's, let's progress through the, through the show. And the first really interesting thing that I found, I mean, we, we get to see both sides sort of strategizing and that sort of stuff. But the first interesting thing I found was uh, the meeting in first where Javier is actually part of that group or Javier is part of that group. And, um, he and a few others are, are making like, even though he in the, in the engine, had argued in favor of telling everybody about Wilford, which turned out to be a disaster. I don't know if it's it's seeing that come to fruition or, or what, but he seems to be arguing, if not for easing up on Melanie, you know, not killing her, then at least, mm-hmm. you know, some return to some sort of order and, and, and balance. Um, so it's interesting to see how how important he has worked out to be, especially in this this plot. Um did you expect Javier to, to come down on any particular side, like further away from Melanie or, or realizing, oh, shit, I didn't really mean for it to do, go that far? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought he was not really going to be part of the equation. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that was surprising that he was there and he was actually kind of the voice of reason. And I think you're right. I think he saw, um, I think being it's really easy to kind of when you're in the bubble, like he was in the engine and you see these things, like you can kind of um, say like, Oh yeah, Melanie, you're wrong for not telling people, blah, blah, blah. But he wasn't out there seeing the people and seeing like the fact that they're, you know, they can get wild and they need that. They needed that lie to kind of keep them in order. Right. And I think when he was finally out there, when there was finally all that, you know, (laughs) the, the sort of the anarchy and, and all that, like, or, or, I guess the transition to a new uh, leader, he realized, Oh shit. Like, (laughs) like I think he understood for the first time what Melanie, what the burden was for her and why she did the things she did at least maybe not to the full extent, but at least in some part, because when they, the thing that got him was when they were like, we're going to gas everybody. And he was like, what? Like, 
the train's not gonna last like we need people and yes. then, and then he was like oh these people are crazy and like yeah this can't be happening and i think that's probably when he went back to his oath of um you know engineers um the train comes first so i think that's when he started realizing oh yeah we we need to hone this in <laughs> so right. I found that. Right. yeah that was good it was the moment when when lila folgers said uh, basically that that they could retrain other people to do the yeah. the jobs of the people that they were going to just let die i mean that's part where i knew that that's a that, that's bullshit i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah she was in a bubble of her own because right. he, was, he he was like i think he just like did a big eye roll it was like uh like we can't teach engineering we can barely teach engineering like one at a time to these you know to the select few that we think are capable and having to train a whole workforce on like a very complicated thing is not going to work. So that's, I think when he knew it was like, we're doomed. <laughs> I got a real game of Thrones vibe out of Ruth when she was like demanding mm. a public execution for Melanie and uh, a formal handover. I mean, that seemed, I mean, I got a little bit of a Joffrey vibe. Yeah. <laughs> out yeah. Of her, you know, very irrational. I, I felt like even like she just went, very to the other side. Well, we had we had kind of foreseen that if Ruth lost Wilford as a cornerstone, that she would turn against Melanie. We didn't foresee that she would become just unhinged about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she definitely became unhinged to a degree where she's a little annoying right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That that moment a little bit later in Wilford's cabin. I didn't actually realize that that was Wilf Wilford's cabin. We've been seeing it all season, but thinking that it was Melanie's, but she's just mm -hmm. been hanging out in there using his stuff. Um, yeah. I thought the same. I didn't realize that that, that, that was uh, his, but it makes sense. It was yeah. built for him. Right. Uh, but that moment with her and gray kind of making out for a second, that <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what that was supposed to make me feel like, but it made me feel like vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was just like a weird pairing like the fake date and then like it's like you're supposed you were kind of an asshole and then like i don't understand like i can't get on board with that i don't know if it's maybe because he's such a hard ass in all of his other scenes like brutally like willing to you know just be a very vicious personality that when i see him smiling with her it feels just kind of gross and disingenuous like i don't know which side of him to believe because i kind of believe mostly the brute and not really the the guy who's trying to be all charismatic with with the person who's probably going to be the next leader of the train if everything shakes out the way i want yeah it's like there's some people you want to be very well-rounded but there's some people that like especially in like tv shows or, or even movies they just need to be one note right yeah <laughs> I don't need dimension in my yeah. uh, army guy here. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that, that bizarre haircut tells me all I need to know about this guy. Have you noticed yeah. what it is? It's just like the very top of his head <laughs> has hair on it. <laughs> like like even more severe than your average like crew cut. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a lot. Yeah, he's very um, – I love his character though. Like I love that he's on there. Um, but yeah, that was weird. <laughs> So we get the reemergence of of Pike back in third class as as a emissary from from first. That was a really interesting exchange because he basically admits openly, like, you know, I, I've had their food. Uh, I'm here on their behalf. 
And when I'm done brokering this, they say I can, I can stay up trained. So, you know, let's, let's continue to talk. I mean, I could imagine where they'd be like, go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> get out of here based on just how blase he was about the way that he, uh, was abandoning all that hard nosed pro tail business that he had been before. I mean, I think I, I did enjoy though the fact that when he met with Andre, there was no bullshit. And also he was in the walking dead. And that's why I just say, I think it's, it's like in my head, but um, they used to drag stuff out. Like, like I stopped watching towards like season eight or something because it would just take forever to let people know your intentions. And sometimes that's okay. But like, sometimes it's very like, we don't need to know, like you just say the things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that was going to be a Pike and Andre situation. Like he was going to play it or blah, blah. And I just like that. It moved quick like hey dude this is what it is i like the cake first class like i'm gonna turn on the tailies because i got a taste of luxury and food and i want a bed and you got an hour so just like choose <laughs> like i just i love that like i love that it was just like a quick thing and it wasn't gonna be a drawn out thing because i hate that sometimes <laughs> and i i can't say that i fault pike i mean i i this probably makes me sound like a, a pretty uh, spineless kind of person, but I got to imagine myself in that situation. I've been deprived of light and food and just decent toileting, I'm sure, for the last seven years. And um, they say that if I, if I do this for them, that I can, I can have a taste of that again. I don't know to what extent, but better than I had it before for those last seven years. And I'm, and you know, I'm putting myself in Pike's shoes and it's like, well, if I had to pick up one of these two sides that looks like they're going to win, am I going to pick the rowdy marginally organized uh, tail and third third class? Or am I going to pick the guys that actually have like an organized army and all these other tools like gas in the lines and all that kind of stuff? I, I, I can really see why he would pick the one side. Um, I, I think he's kind of a piece of shit for it, but I, I can I can see why he would do it, and it's it's a realistic choice. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I would be um be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna Taylor's forever when I've just had the most delicious cake <laughs> after seven years. So um, yeah, I I definitely can't fault Pike for for choosing that way, and I think. To some degree, I don't think Andre can either because he knows he had his grilled cheese and tomato soup, um, and he yep. he he should know better than anyone that anybody in the Taylor section, if they had the opportunity to, I think they would. Not because they're bad people; it's just like, hey, I mean, it's been a rough seven years. Like, I I also think he understands, but he, of course, it's not in the best interest at the moment for him. Uh, for for Pike to do that, but I think he gets it too. So last episode of the podcast, you and I looked at uh, Jinju being um, kept home by Bess as mm -hmm. potentially keeping her on the bench to help out later. And that is one prediction we got right. Yay! Yes. What did we win today? <laughs> <laughs> Credibility. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she and somehow Javi team up. Now, I I didn't uh, see it at the time, but I can see now in hindsight how when Javi was 
with Gray trying to break into the engine. And they can't because, I mean, if, if you're trying to guard or protect the engine from like a terrorist takeover, why would there be a way in from the outside? You know? So, yeah. But I do believe that given his distaste for the way that he sees things going, that that, that moment when he says that he's going to go down train and try to override things from down there, I could see where he would just be like, well, none of these dipshits is going to contradict me. They don't know anything. I could say <laughs> anything at all and they would have to believe me. I mean, the worst case would have been sending a soldier with him, but they kind of need all their soldiers for the brewing rebellion. So he doesn't get an escort. That makes a lot of sense. I would have tried probably the same thing if I was Javi. Um, I mean, I, I do that half the time currently when it comes to computers and people asking me questions. <laughs> oh, that? That's wicked hard. You should never try that. Definitely don't ask me about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because, like, it, it, it just shows you the disparity, like we were talking about earlier. Like, these people have no idea. They're thinking so... Um, like just with their own interest that they don't see anything else. Like they're on a freaking train and like, how are they expecting to run this train? They have no idea what actually goes into it. But I think that was also the facade that Wilford had put into their minds of the eternal engine. And like, well, we built, built a train, so it's going to go on forever. Like it's just magically running. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I think they're lucky that Javi was there at least because, um, they would have been screwed if they tried to go up, move forward with whatever they were going to do. Um, and I'm glad that he, he came to his senses and hatched that plan with Jing, with Jingzu, um, because, uh, that was pretty awesome. The, like the escape that they made for, um, Melanie. Like, I love that whole sequence of events. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there was, I mean, they, they took that, as far as they could take it. You and I had guessed that there would be some emergency that would dictate that they need the best engineer on the train to fix it. And uh, that didn't come to pass. She was going to be executed if uh, Javi hadn't been there in that bizarre gimp mask to save her. <laughs> also, I will say, side note, I love all the methods that they've shown on how to use the cold to kill people. It's been... Lug of ice. Yes. Yes, it, it's been frightening, but also pretty cool that, um, like, all the different methods that I never even knew could exist. <laughs> they all revolve around cold. There's plenty of that yeah. going around. Yeah, it's like my nightmare. I told you before, like, yeah. cold would be, like, just, just slit my throat, please. Like, don't let me be cold. <laughs> <laughs> the moment with... Andre and Zara, he's been purposefully um, avoiding Zara, you know, making contact with her and then being like, got to go and then slipping away whenever they come in contact with each other. But Miss Audrey says, no, you really need to go talk to her. This idea um, of protect our child, I needed to protect our child. That That's like a, that's a germ that gets stuck in his brain. And that guides what he does next and to an extent probably guides what he does later. He's protecting the train, but his child's on the train. See, it's kind of like a hierarchy, I guess. But um, that 
moment was pivotal. Now he's, we had, we had wondered how he'll get along with Zara. And as much as he seems to hate her guts, uh, he also, like you predicted last week, you know, uh, that's a mother and child kind of situation there. You're never going to be, you can't be rid of this woman now. It's, you're you're linked forever because you have this child uh, together that you probably intend on raising as best you can on this train. Yeah. Um, well, I want to ask you though, because I don't have kids. Sure. Um, and you have kids. I do. And in all the shows, movies, the trope is this always happens where you know there's a pregnant and someone did something wrong, but then because there's a baby coming, it changes everything, and you kind of not dismiss what the person's done, but you kind of accept it because there's a baby. So in that situation, um, does it really like? I guess does it mean a lot? Like if, if like Zara, like if your wife had done that, or if your ex partner had done that, and like they tell you, "Hey, my baby's coming," or like I, I'm pregnant, um, this is your kid. Like, would that change the way you, I don't know, does it mean something because you can't see it? Like, I guess that's my thing is I, since I haven't been pregnant or have kids, I can't feel that like really um, pull of like, oh, this is my child and I would do anything for it. Or this is the mother of my child um, kind of thing, because I always see it in movies. And I just wonder, is that pull so strong that it does make you dismiss the things that the person has done? It is a convenient trope in TV and movies, I think, to complicate a relationship between people that is headed in one trajectory, but then, you know, you introduce this pregnancy and all of a sudden things are smoothing out, you know, like Rick and Lori, right? <laughs> Go, yeah. Going back yeah. to Walking Dead, <laughs> all of a, you know, their marriage just kind of sucks, but then all of a sudden she's pregnant and then things get better, you know, come to find out later, it's actually Shane's kid, but whatever, that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in real life, you know, I have seen in my 43 years on this planet, <laughs> a couple different uh, generations in terms of how they deal with pregnancy and relationships. And I would say like the generation or two, older than me is definitely still in that, well, if you're pregnant, then we should get married sort of mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a very old school kind of way of looking at things. My generation is sort of bridging the gap between that mindset and the current mindset, which apparently is something a little more like, you know, a, a woman will be willing to become pregnant regardless of her relationship status and then gauge later on whether or not dad should be very active in the raising of that baby or not. Um, I have friends that I hold in high regard that have done, <laughs> done that. They've been like, sure, we have a kid, but you know, uh, I'm not in any, any, uh, big hurry to make this official until I'm sure about you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in that case, like, uh, that was the woman in, in that example I'm thinking of where she was very willing to be like, you know, uh, if, if you can't straighten out your, your business, then, uh, say la vie. Um, so, and I don't know about the dad in that situation, how he, he felt in those early, early days like that. Um, mm -hmm. 
we do know that by reputation, dads uh, don't have a great reputation for, for, <laughs> for yeah. sticking around um, when they get uh, news they don't want pregnancy-wise um, in real life. Uh, yeah, but in movies, they like that's the reason they stay, which seems a little – or not stay, but just – like it, it changed. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it changed Layden's whole thing. And I guess because it's Snowpiercer and babies and, and rec- recreation or re- reproduction is so rare or like limited that maybe it's more special to him. Like, this is my only chance maybe. kind of thing. But but I always just feel like I, I don't like that trope so much because it just seems so convenient for the plot. And it doesn't make sense. Like, this person killed your one love and then you're like, who knows if the baby's in there or it's going to keep going you know i don't know <laughs> yeah you're yeah, i mean that's that's legit i mean we're just going on the idea that we were pretty sure andre is a good guy because he is the protagonist of this show so far um and so they're relying heavily on us having seen other shows <laughs> to mm-hmm. see that's how good guys act in this situation now whether to what extent that allows um, Zara back into his heart and in his feelings. We don't know. We we do know that it's more than it was before she said so. Yes, <laughs> but we don't yeah. know if it's like a a free pass or or what. Um, there's plenty. Of, you're you're right though. In plenty of TV shows, it doesn't even have to be pregnancy. It can be just being on several episodes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> You know, where the attitude toward someone who, who, up, you know, up five episodes ago was trying to actively take your life or something like that. And just, oh, well, now they're being nice to me. So they're, they're cool again. We see that in TV kind of a lot. And, and it's just something we just have to roll with. And, and a lot of times it doesn't actually seem to make good sense. Pregnancy at least has little extra to it besides just being nice. But you're right. It is a it is a trope that can feel unearned when when it comes to pass like this. Yeah, because we do know he's a good guy, and we know he'll do it right. And it just seemed too like too like oh, you're putting that thing in, you know. And felt like it just didn't need to be there. I guess is yeah. like what I'm saying. Yeah, but yeah, back in first when they get news from Pike about the surrender, and LJ prods her parents to become. <laughs> uh seen as people having you know a big role in the leadership of the of the train 2.0 now there's no way she saw this coming right about her, her parents being lost with the the soldiers right she didn't there's nothing she could have known right she's just i mean yeah i really thought she did though and i thought she was just being her psycho self but then the reaction, I don't, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know what she is gonna. I feel like I don't know. She, she's given us reason to believe that she probably would. <laughs> I know. Would know. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, when you see uh, kind of psychotic people in in movies and TV shows, because I don't think I know any in real life, they do things, <laughs> um, just to see how it would feel, and so yeah, it's plausible that her personality would say, well, I, I think it would be interesting to know what it would feel like to lose your parents. And, it, you know, even though that's a one-way street, <laughs> uh, just 
the the desire to feel something as as she's already admitted to feeling quite a bit um would be enough to see but how she would have the foresight to know that a train decoupling was in the future it's more likely that the idea of putting her, the, her parents amongst soldiers amongst the leader of the rebellion that sort of stuff would at least put them in harm's way and kind of be interesting to her on that level that's the most i could think of in terms of her devious mind thinking of a way to off her parents but other than that the idea of getting them front and center to become train royalty um doesn't feel as likely as her wanting them hurt <laughs> is that sick yeah or what? <laughs> yeah because i mean she's just been such a wild card i i still don't understand her fully and um which like her character in itself is kind of annoying, but I kind of like it in terms of being on the TV show because she is very, like, we, we talked about Ruth being unhinged, but that's just because of circumstances. Right. LJ is unhinged, <laughs> like normal <laughs> right. circumstances. Um, so yeah, when she did that, I think it was perfect because uh, she hasn't given, if she couldn't, if she couldn't foresee that happening, it was also, it would just be the biggest karma for her for like the, what she is. And, I wonder um, how that's going to pan out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did get that right, right? Her parents were stuck in the part of the train that didn't recouple, right? No, yeah, they 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 got um, they were part of the with the soldiers, so they, yeah. they all with with Nolan and all those. So I have, Gonzo, Tenzo. <laughs> I have to admit that the way that it was cut together and the the way that the direction that people were walking and running and then saying where I'm going up train, I'm going down train. Conceptually, I understand what they were trying to do in terms of, you know, cutting out a part of the train and then reconnecting with the back part of the train. I understand. It's just the way that they were all going. I can't really think of who was where when they did all that and why the um, execution waiting room had to be part of that in order for that to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think as much as I love some of the shots, it, it definitely um, was, it was a little disorienting. I think they, they haven't made, uh, especially I think when they've been having more movement with the, with these action sequences and stuff in the last few episodes, it has been a little confusing, um, like the direction of where you are on the train. Right. Yeah. Like, um, and also the fact that it is a thousand and one cars and, but we can't see, like, they're not going to be going through that. Like in the movie, they went through all of those, like, and they didn't even go through all of them. Right. It was just like a lot of them. Um, and so in the show for budget reasons and for just you can't go through all it just is like you really have to um just what is it like suspend your belief like oh when they mean the back it's all the way to the back it's not just these few cars because we're just seeing them already make the journey to the front so that has been a little um hard for me um in terms of like viewer viewing it to really like make sure like okay it's not just like 10 cars there. There's like a thousand and one cars. And like, it, it is not that easy because sometimes I'm like, Oh, well they can just get too late in. Like it, he's, he's there. Like, why is it so hard? It's like, Oh, because there's like 800 cars in between them. Okay. So <laughs> that, that stuff has been a little, um, not as, I, I don't know if 
how they would be do a better job of that but it has been very confusing like i don't know but it's like a tv show right so like you have to just get go with it but yeah i I haven't liked the way that um that's gone in terms of they haven't done a good job of the like the illusion of more cars (laughs) I, i don't know what would have helped me like picture what was happening in my mind a little better because mm-hmm. like you know melanie she's in the first part of the train and she cuts off the the latter two-thirds or whatever and then andre must go to the last third and uncouple it from the middle section because mm-hmm. no you know no one left on the middle section is coming back and i don't know what would have helped me if if he was facing a different direction i don't really know because the way that it was cut it just made my little brain feel like he was still on the middle section that was never going to get reconnected even though that doesn't make any yeah. sense but that's the way it no seemed. yeah it did yeah it did and i think it's because when they film him getting to wherever he is they film him from like the back. They're look like where he's going to pull the handle, mm-hmm. but then he has to go into the front where those the you know he has to make the hard decision of choosing the tailie or you know to undo them, but he can't find the key, and he's like, "Well, I got to go do this." So it's like he's going forward, but he's coming back, and then it's like from the back view, and so then you're like, "Where are you?" And it's only when if they hadn't been showing Melanie from like the outside with her face in the window, yeah. I would not have known like where they were at all. Like what was going on. It took me a little while too, where I was like, Oh, they're doing, they're taking out the middle and then they're going to reconnect and the fork thing. And I was like, okay, I get it. But yeah, it's, I think the angles, if they would have chose one direction to like, really, okay. Layden is going this way. Melanie is going that way. And then you would, the audience kind of picks up on those editing cues. Yeah. But there was, it was just like all over the place. So yeah. It's like, uh, you, you were in film school, you know what the 180 rule is. It feels like they broke that. And I I can't guarantee Mm -hmm. that they did. I mean, an editor might come back and say, bullshit, you don't know what you're talking about. We were a (laughs) hundred percent pure, but it just feels like somehow they did. And that made me lose the thread a little bit. I mean, obviously I know what happens at the end, but it, it could have been, I don't know. I, I felt like it should have been clear to me. I think what they should have done is it was maybe, well, I mean, who am I? But um, maybe I think just the direction, like I think they should have, if, right. if Layden was the one that was like in the front, he should have been like maybe only filmed from the back and not the camera shouldn't have flipped over when he goes inside to like save the other people and, or like any of that. And then for Melanie, maybe they should have just done where they were filming her from, like the front view, I don't know, like following her from a certain angle or something like that, because it was, I think the fr- rotating the camera, like you said, was just the confusing part. Or, or maybe, oh, if they run right, they're going up train. If they run left, they go down train, or something. Yes. Consistent. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We've spent a long time on that. The point, yeah. the punchline <laughs> was, I, I personally was a little confused about who was where. I trust that they were in the right spot, but it could have been clear. Okay, so back in the engine, um, there was a little tiny amount of world building that happened when Bennett was needing Miles' help, and because Miles kept asking questions, uh, where he, they, you know, he they want they want to know about the the engine eternal, and and he admits it, it will run forever, but it can't power everything all the time. Is what that boils down to. Uh, makes me just wonder what the heck is this thing running on? 
you think it's maybe nuclear or or just is it some way where it's just like recycling its own energy like a the kind of machine that uh <laughs> so much for my brains what's that called it's it's uh something well i haven't seen any of the solar panels on any of the train but there we're 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 guessing this is like the fact that they're, they're in snowpiercer they have advanced technology so it could be something like that or like not fusion or what it's like stuff that doesn't go out i know what you're talking about but i don't know i can't think of the term man that's pathetic that our, our renewable like well it's not it's renewable. not even renewable it's the idea that its own motion it's what is what makes it keep going you know what i mean like um yeah it's it's uh oh man my sp- like you'll 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 always have the um uh, kind of like the law, right? It's perpetual. like no that's can perpetual be... motion. That's it. Yeah. That's the thing. So the idea of perpetual motion is that once it's going, it never stops because its own motion feeds it sort of like we talked about much earlier in the podcast um, series, the like with hybrid cars, when they, when they slow down, they're actually using the energy uh, created by applying the brakes to power a generator, which then keeps the battery in the hybrid running longer. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's just sort of that sort of thing, but applied on a much larger scale. So this gigantic train, something like that. Maybe we're not supposed to ask too many questions about that. It's just interesting that, that he admits, you know, engineers will get very particular about a detail <laughs> and he says, yeah. nope, it'll run forever. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so it is very, it, it is, um, that wasn't a lie, I guess. It, it is eternal. Yeah, it, it makes it sound religious when you, when you add words like eternal. <laughs> it does. Yeah. But that's how you get a following from people is it, you're not going to say perpetual motion and people are going to be like, woo, perpetual motion. It's like, <laughs> but if you say etern, etern, the eternal engine, they'll be like, oh yeah, that sounds like, it's going to save us. <laughs> right. There you go. It's all marketing. I really enjoyed though, the miles um, and Bennett relationship on, in this episode. Boy, that's a, that's another with, redemptive arc. Uh, <laughs> no one even had to get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It solved itself. Cause he, at the beginning he was really mad at miles for doing that. And then towards the end, it's like he, he did prove himself as a, but as a upcoming engineer. And I think, I think that probably mattered more. And then of course with um, Andre taking over and all that. So that was pretty cool. I really liked that storyline with Miles um, and Bennett. It was a nice pairing that we hadn't seen before. (laughs) The idea that it kind of introduces, and this may be just barking up the wrong tree, kind of introduces the idea of Bennett having a paternal streak to him that we might not have seen come up ever without having a kid around. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think it also showed um, how they train because it seemed crazy to me that he was trusting miles with like big things yeah, <laughs> like sure. with, with trains and he, and he, he didn't have time to be in, in other shows we've seen like where kids are treated um, kind of like oh don't mess with stuff don't touch anything blah blah blah. and in this one he had to use him as like his right hand man and that was pretty cool that where he was just like you do this and this and yeah you're doing it right and like so i think i didn't understand how having a young kid 
as, you know, training as an engineer was going to work. But I think that that whole um, sequence also showed that that's what it was. And I think kids are pretty good at absorbing knowledge. And so like it, it does make it made made it make more sense to me that they could choose young kids and actually train them as engineers and not so far fetched as I thought it would be. You see that in other fiction sometimes like particularly post-apocalyptic stuff where it's like uh mortal engines do you ever see that movie or read the books yes i loved mortal engines yeah so did I didn't I. Read the books. it didn't get a very good uh, i think it's underrated yeah I, I hope it i hope it gets a cult following um it made me go read all the books uh, and i and they're even though they're ya books um i as a non-y uh <laughs> enjoyed them for what they were um but it's it's the idea of of you know you've only you've got a pretty limited resource when it comes to people. And so you've, you, you do groom kids to pick up these things from childhood. Uh, did you ever watch the passage? Which one? It had, um, it had Zach from saved by the bell on it. And, uh, Oh, I saw, I saw like the first half of it. I didn't finish it. Okay. Well, the book that that comes from, same idea. There's a time jump in the that takes place, and that part would have been season two, but it got canceled, so it'll never come to pass. But so I don't feel bad spoiling it. But that's the same idea with that group is is that they're the, down to just you know a hundred people left or something like that, and so they have a need to keep lights on at night, and so they train just a very select few of them to be able to do that. They may not understand everything that the original engineers ever did, but they know more than anybody else. So eventually it does get diluted, whatever you get taught, because you don't have the true understanding that the masters did in the original, you know, iteration of the train, but you do see Mm -hmm. that same kind of thing. So when you see it here, it isn't, it isn't with, without precedence in post-apocalyptic storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. I like the, that, um, idea that you would have to use um, children to kind of do big work. And I think sometimes you underestimate what kids can do. I think, especially in our society too. So especially if you've seen the movie uh, we've mentioned before that the the movie um, doesn't have such enlightened views <laughs> of how to use kids. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. So that one's, they changed it up here <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> as far as we know. <laughs> yeah. This is for the better. Um, at least if you're Miles. Uh, so like we mentioned, she doesn't need to make a repair, but she does know, she does have a plan. And this plan is something that no one else can execute. I'm talking about Melanie here. Um, and that and that pretty much saves her life. Um, no one in the tale had any, any, or third class, had any real reason to spare her life when she popped out of the ventilation shaft. It was only this knowledge and this wacky plan and the pre-work, <laughs> pre-arrangement she had done with Bennett, which was basically like, if the shit ever hits the fan, you know, pull out the radio and I'll try to reach you with that. No one else would have known that. Yeah, those were the contingencies. So I think I was right on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was pretty awesome because it... it it just showed like she knew shit would hit the fan one day and they had all these backup plans. And she, I love that she has all these um, crazy workarounds in some ways of like, yeah, we can let this train loose and blah, blah. And, and, and like, 
what? Like, <laughs> I think that's just seven years of, I don't know, maybe just thinking of all the ways that shit can go wrong. And, and, and then also knowing the train so well that you can come up with stuff when you're in emergency, when you're going to be executed, when you have to fight for your life. And she has all those kind of like, oh yeah, I think this is what I could do. Um, so that was pretty awesome. I love that contingency backup plan that she came up with. Speaking of knowing the train, one of our listeners wrote in on uh, Facebook this last week, Tim Langston, and he brought up the idea of, of taking a look at the Wilford Industries website to get some insight into some of the cars that haven't been explored yet. Have you ever looked at the Wilford Industries website? No, I haven't. I didn't yeah. do that. Yeah. If you can, if you look that up, you'll see um, a description of not all 1,001 cars, but lots of the cars. And they do it in sometimes they are um, pictures of the set with little call outs to give you a little bit more detail about some of the stuff going on in the pictures. But mostly it's done with um, artists like concept paintings. And there are little Easter eggs in there that are kind of interesting. So like the, the first class gym, they credit as having been designed by Jillian Michaels. <laughs> and Jillian Michaels in her own Twitter feed has, has uh, I don't know if she's playing along or she actually did design some sort of gym because we haven't seen a gym. But um, yeah, it, they, they give her credit in there. It's just other famous names like like uh, the woman who plays Audrey, Miss Audrey, is, a, is an actual woman who sings named Lena Hall. And uh, she's credited... Not Audrey, but Lena Hall is credited as like the inspiration for one of the cars that's related to the night car. It's not the night car. It's just one of the cars that has night car services. So you get, you can see all this stuff. There's even a car somewhere in third where they just come out and say, this car is dedicated to genetic manipulation <laughs> with like a painting of like a dude in a vat and stuff like that. So it's it's worth checking out. It's interesting. It's uh, worth spending five or ten minutes on just to see what's oh, up. Oh wow! I just saw that there's a beach one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's uh, all different kinds, especially in first class. First class has some of the more interesting ones, um, like a casino and and stuff like that. Oh man, yeah. We've only scratched the surface in this first season. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One car that will be. Um, needing to uh replace is the classroom <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oof. that was a as far as brutal kind of endings go sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be a gory end in terms of like flashing someone or beating them over the head like the fact that you let them go to freeze to death and I mean, it is going to be a horrible death, but I found that so good in some ways because I, I, we've seen so many things in in our media and sometimes it just becomes like, oh, you did that. That's, I've seen that 10 times before. And I I really liked the way they ended those people. (laughs) (laughs) It was so brutal. Points for creativity. Yes. I was tickled when Till turned Roche. That was um, a, a personally satisfying 
scene for me because this whole time I have had in my um my character notes that I thought Roche was a pretty fair-minded guy. Um you know, he he had his job and he did his job, but um he wasn't he wasn't overly a dick about not about about the fact that the Tailies didn't belong on the train. He just, you know, he'd been been a company man and all that kind of stuff. But he, like the little moments where he did tell Leighton about his wife and his kids and all that kind of stuff, that, those moments let me know Roche is a guy that might, might be someone that you could talk to. And it turns out that's true. What did you think about Roche and Till and, and his role in the rebellion? He definitely has been neutral. I don't think he's been far, far to one side um, in terms of like, yeah, he, he, he had to give out some justice or whatever in his role. But I think that he's pretty rational too. And I think he can, he's seen like the stuff that's been going on hasn't been good, but I think he is just like a working class guy. <laughs> and it's one of those things where he's like, I can't deal with, I don't have enough power to like right the wrongs of the world. And I I'll definitely don't want to go to the Taylor section. Right. So I'm just going to stay right here. Not try to do like, not try to be um, super evil, not be super good and just like stay in my lane. And I think that's who he is, but I think he definitely is a decent person. And so when um, Till comes and, and tells, tells him like, Hey, you got to choose a side now. Like you can't just be complacent. Like, the the normal like the normal is is not normal anymore like you're gonna have to choose um and i think that's when he finally just is like yeah you're right because <laughs> he's decent he's not we've never seen anything from him where it was um like terrence you know like a malicious underlining or something um like Pike, even it, i think roche has always been kind of just even just fair and, just fair guy yeah Fair guy, and I think he finally he. So it makes sense. He made a fair choice. <laughs> the moment when Melanie de-chips herself and then chips Andre with her chip made me wonder: Is can this? I, I mean, on the one hand, you have basically the keys to the the kingdom here, but is this going to come around and bite him on the ass? Is it going to be? negative for him to have her chip in his arm like is there going to come a moment where she could say you know go find tell tell whoever's left in charge of the army to go find wherever my chip is that's where you'll find andre you know that sort of thing i guess we don't really know if there's like like a finite number of chips right yeah so who knows if she could have another one made and just reprogram it or are we just supposed to assume that these are unique and that's why they're so sought after or I, I, I don't know I don't know how you track those either because we haven't like as much as like Snowpiercer we've seen a lot we still haven't seen a lot of the technology and how it works per se like in depth. I think at a minimum what you would be able to expect is um, to find out the doors that it has logged into. Mm-hmm. And so you'd be able to see what was the last door that it tagged into. And uh, if you were looking for somebody, you'd start to look there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I've seen that kind of a similar system for very low tech campuses where they have like a security staff. The secure, the security officer has a thing that he, 
that he uh, lines up with a sensor and that tells a, a computer somewhere that's where that officer is right now. And they just are disciplined about doing that wherever they go. And so that's kind of what got me thinking of uh, the chip would probably do the same thing. Yeah. Well, do you think when Melanie, she's making a deal to save her she life when, when she does that whole thing. But do you think like that she ultimately was okay with turning over if, if the plan worked and we see at the end that it does, that she was okay with Layden really having power? Or do you think that she, when the moment comes, she's going to be like, oh, no, 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 I was just joking. <laughs> well, I mean, her argument seems to be that, you know, her they gave her method a try. It resulted in where they are now. And she really just wants order to return to the train because that's the only way that it will survive. And she, I think that she wants to be involved in the power structure, but she doesn't need to be in charge. She just needs someone in charge that will make decisions for the good of the train. Yeah. And and she finally knows that Andre is the person. Yeah. Whereas Ruth, I don't think is equipped. Gray is not equipped. The Folgers definitely are not equipped. Um, No. So, I mean, this is, these are the things she said. This is how she acted. So I, I want to think that I'm just making shit up about the chip being a source of problems later for Andre. I'm just leaving it there on the podcast for posterity that this might come back in a season or two. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, with power comes great responsibility. Right. Right. All right. I, I'm a Stanley devotee and I believe that. Um, but what, what did you think though about the, I guess the way it ended? Because I thought that was, first off it was full circle because we've seen all through the season what Melanie has done for the train, the sacrifices she's done. We've even debated whether she, or posed the question of, is she doing this for just, is she a power hungry person? Is she, you know, like kind of a dictator or she just doing this because she has to do it. And we finally learned that that's the case, right? I, I mean, I kind of concluded at the end because she was being judged by Andre. How could you do this? How could you, you know, you're, you've you've done all these horrible things, and then when Andre has to choose, he did the same thing. Yeah. And then I think he hated himself for it, which we assume she did too every time. And I think that's that's part of being the leader, right? Is if you can't make those life or death decisions for the greater good, you're never going to be a leader. You're just people are going to die because you save one person when you should have saved four hundred or whatever. Yeah, I think that's all all correct. It's it's one thing to criticize leadership. It's another thing to actually say, okay, I'm willing to lead. That's that's one of the things that's like uh, inherently, uh, I guess, not wrong, but maybe it's just inherent in the way that our political system works in our country is that there's there's lots of people that are willing to criticize leadership. There are much fewer people that are actually willing to do the do the leading. And that's kind of probably how we wind up with some of the leaders we get <laughs> is, is <laughs> yes. no one else is willing to stand up and go through all the, everything you have to go through to be in those positions. Yeah. You're going to have to get your hands dirty, whether you like it or not, whether you come from a good place or not. Yes. 
And that's what Layden learned the hard way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, I thought the ending, um, the ending probably takes 10 minutes, but I only have about like five lines of, of notes <laughs> dedicated to it because it was very fast paced the way that it all went down. The, um, the fight in the subtrain, uh, the last Australian showing up with strong boy to just <laughs> obliterate gray. I mean, God, gray didn't even get a hit in. And, um, he was, he, he was very bloody at the end of their exchange. I bet he's not dead, but maybe he, do you think he, do you think Gray was in the part of the train they decoupled or do you think he was safe? Cause Andre told them to get out of there. So I'm thinking maybe yeah. they were, they were just downstairs from the, from the uh, classroom. So I bet he's toast. I think so. I mean, it, but you never know. Cause maybe that could be a good, part of the finale if like he survived and then he's going to go and try to do his last hurrah <laughs> maybe but um but i mean i think i i think if you're a big character and, and like the folders and him were kind of not the leads but they were part of like the main group and i always love when there's a fitting death for those type of characters and i i think if he if he did die it was fitting the way it ended because i hate I, I dislike when it's just like a shitty death, you know, like it's like, it's not worthy of the person that's that, you know, mm -hmm. that it is. So I, I think, I hope it's, it, it was his demise. Arya and Walter Frey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yes. I, 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 I mean, Game of Thrones is just like, uh, set the bar for like fitting death. So like, that's my, that's my bar. If you go lower than that, like, oh, shitty. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen Game of Thrones out there, people, catch up. <laughs> don't yes. don't let all the bad yes. press about the last season uh, keep you away. You're missing very good TV. Yeah. And hopefully we'll see um, Sean Bean in, in this season eventually. Eventually. I'm still holding out. I'm still holding out. IMDb, I think, <laughs> don't fail me. I think you're right. I think we might be looking at a closing moments of the last episode sort of thing. Like, we still have Ruth, and she... Uh, does not stand to become less unhinged when she finds out that Gray is probably dead. So, I mean, it's foreseeable that she could say, go to the drawers guy, Dr. Henry, and somehow put the screws to him about, is Wilford in one of these drawers? She would have to kind of make some mental leaps to make that, make that um, assumption. But... Still, of all the people now on the train that would be most interested in sorting that out, it seems like she's the only one. Yeah, but she seems so short-sighted right now that I don't, like you said, it would take a lot of leaps for her to get there. And I feel like she is not thinking big picture. She's thinking very small picture. And um, I don't even think she understands everything that's been going on in the train because She's just been fo so focused on the hospitality part and and uh, and proper handovers yeah. of power and uh, yes. surrender so... documentation and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think I think it's the least of her worries. So I don't I I don't think we're gonna get any of those big moments from her. Unfortunately, I was just trying to think of why would we get Mister Wilford if he's going to appear. It'd be the perfect thing to happen in about the last five seconds of the next episode. And just thinking, how would that happen? Who, 
who else would try to make that happen? And she's my odds on favorite, but still a long shot from having a good reason to even suspect that it's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know what I really hope. I, I wonder how they're going to bring him back, because I I thought Melanie would be hiding if 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 the drawer thing was true. I would be thinking I thought it was because that was kind of his thing, right? Like kind of like a Wayland alien thing. Yeah. And he wanted to prolong his life and, you know, wake me up when shit hits the fan and where we're at. Right. And then now if, if Melanie's telling the truth and he was like a piece of shit, <laughs> um, then why would she have any intention of waking him up? And then Andre, why would he want to wake him up? If like, he doesn't seem like the greatest person if he was in the Taylor section. So, um, he he definitely doesn't want to bring up anybody that would probably challenge him for power um, when he when he just got it from Melanie. So it's going to be interesting to see how they bring that back, or maybe it'll just be flashbacks. I don't know. Here's my here's my hail mary on Mister Wilford. The there's a moment when in the engine before Melanie calls in on the radio, they get a momentary flutter of interference. Here's I don't have any details. I'm just saying Mr. Wilford might have something to do with that. Now, I don't know what that means. Oh, so do you think he's not in a drawer? Well, I don't know. I I mean, that's what makes it a Hail Mary. You just toss it up there <laughs> and hope somebody yeah. catches it. Um and uh, but that's it. I I'm, I'm wondering about those random since no one else on the train would know that the, that radio is even still a thing, you know. It just makes me wonder if she did leave him, um, train or uh, what do they call it on the on the side of the train when they when they took off. Maybe he's the sort of guy that also has a contingency. I don't know what that would be because the the yeah. train probably would have been definitely plans A through Y uh, for anybody left alive on Earth at that moment. But I, so what Z? <laughs> yeah, so Plan Z. Whatever, whatever happened with him now? If he's if he's still around, it's gonna be Plan Z. But yeah, that's that's my guess. Those radio blips, something to do with him. That's my that's my really just no reason to think it's correct guess. <laughs> I mean, in TV, nothing happens for no reason. The fact that it was mentioned that there was interference makes me feel like maybe or something could be going on with like what you said because. We're professional TV watchers, I think. <laughs> We've watched a lot of TV, and there's always like that one little thing that you're like, oh, whatever. Cause, and it's like they don't put things in because they need to save all the time that they can, and everything is for a reason. So that is very interesting. Well, every time they used the radio on the island in Lost, they mm -hmm. paid it off sometime later. Like there was always, always yeah. a reason why whatever was on the radio was on the radio. It was always explained. It might have been five seasons later, <laughs> but they explained <laughs> it. I don't. I hope it doesn't take five seasons. You know, uh, maybe. Yeah. Nowadays, they don't have five seasons guaranteed, so they got to get it going. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> but I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited for the for the last episode. Yeah, me too. This has been a ride I didn't really expect uh, to go as far as it did in one in the first season. So, given where things are now, the fighting is likely not exactly done. It's just mostly done. Uh, so that means they got to kind of shake out what's left and who's actually in charge. So I think that's what's next, but 
I sure hope that the, our prediction about Mr. Wilford's reemergence happens because that will be the monkey wrench that makes you really want season two to happen right away. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think it's been an interesting journey from where it started. I was like, oh, okay, this is definitely like kind of a not cheap TV, but you know, like cable TV, serial drama of like the serial cop drama. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I get it. And then it just took a different spin. And then things that I thought would last the whole season have not lasted the whole season, like storylines. Yeah. And it just makes me wonder what else could they do? And then every episode kind of changes that and like there's new stuff that comes up. So yeah, I'm curious to see like the only thing I that's next since Andre supposedly in the, like it is going to take over from this end of the episode it can't be that easy, right? They're not going to ride off into the sunset now that like the tailies are going to come and, and maybe be part of like first class or whatever. Yeah. So, I don't think so. Um, yeah. And if Melanie's going to be on Andre's side, I don't know. There has to be another thing that comes up. That's going to be a conflict or else it's going to be really boring. <laughs> so the only thing that, that would make sense is that Wilford comes into the equation in some way, because that would make it super exciting. Especially if we get to see Sean Bean, because he makes anything exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like that guy. Just whenever you see him, he's, he always plays a interesting character. Uh, seems to have a lot of pathos, like, built in <laughs> to him for some reason. Yeah. Just, I don't know if it's his face or his acting or, or, or what, but it all adds up into a character you want to know more about, even when he maybe only gets, like, five minutes of screen time, like he did, say, in, like, Equilibrium. Do you ever see that movie? Oh, I think a long time ago. Christian Bale is the main guy. Yeah. Sean Bean is in it for like five minutes. Yeah, he's one of those actors that really like commands the screen. Like he's perfect for this kind of work for whatever reason it is. And sometimes you can really love him like in Lord of the Rings when he was Boromir and he dies and you're like, no. Um, and then or be like the evil dude that he was in like some of those 90s movies and he would die too. Um, and it's just weird that he can go and play both in a really interesting way where you don't really I don't know it, it kind of sometimes he can blur it too and I love that I love that you don't know who he's going to be because he's played both sides of like good and You're bad only characters. sure that he's going to die <laughs> yeah yeah so that's why they started him in season two so he can make it a season two that's funny or so we think right we don't know we don't yet. know we're just we're just guessing I'm just putting it out there so it does happen. <laughs> right. It's like uh, positivity, right? It's the the secret, right? That's the secret is you put it out into the universe and it will happen. Yes. <laughs> All right. Then we will, um, we will catch up with everybody on the finale next time. This has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Ah. Uh...